when I was a, a teenager, I worked for a, a moving company. So I learned how to lift, lift furniture and work with the team and, uh, and, and do all of that. It was hard and hot work in the summer. I worked in a lumber yard. I worked for a plumbing supply company. This is all when I was a, a teenager. Uh, I also edited and repaired 16 millimeter film for our school district. Uh, there were a lot of things I just enjoyed doing. I was also a welder's helper. I, I worked in a restaurant as table help. So I, that's why I'm always trying to be nice to the, to the people who serve the food because I've been there and I know what they're thinking uh, sometimes about the people they are helping. Uh, I mowed yard like probably many of you did. And then uh, later on as I sensed God's call into the ministry, you know, I, I did those low-level jobs, or some people would see them as low-level. I was a student pastor. Uh, let's, let, let's let the new guy work with the students. That's usually how it goes, right? Because if you make some mistakes, they'll never know it. Uh, and I worked in education as an education pastor, evangelism pastor, and then in recent years, I've been the lead pastor. Uh, and then, of course, here now I... Uh, am associate pastor for family ministry. But all of those roles taught me something. Just as all of the things you've done were the building blocks and taught you something. And, and, and when you stack it all up, you realize that it had something to do with who you are today and how you do your work today and what kind of work you do today. And it's all very important. It's important because if you, for example, if I had skipped all of that and been immediately put into a, a lead pastor role, let's say, I wouldn't know about working with a team or working hard with, with my muscles or getting sweaty, trying to you know, mow a yard, what it means to, to work long or, and work hard and, oh, you missed a spot and have to go back and do something again to make sure it's done well. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had all that. And so uh, I'm very grateful to, to have had all those experiences. They taught me lessons that uh, I still have with me today. Lessons, as I mentioned, like teamwork, like promptness, like going the extra mile, like telling yourself in the morning, I may not be able to come home when I thought I was going to come home because there may be something else to do or someone else to meet with and... And then you have to learn to make boundaries to say, well, I, I must stop here so that I can go do this over here. So there are so many life and work lessons that come from those things. And when I think about that, that, that lady on the video making that cup of coffee and how she made the, when she put the cream in, it, it, it looked like a leaf on top of the coffee. And, and some people are able to make put a heart on the top of that. And, and when I look at that, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I wonder, I wonder how many people over all the years of drinking coffee have even cared that there's something on top of it that looks like that. And most of us don't, especially what, what we do here on Sunday mornings. But when somebody takes the time to do something a little bit extra, we go, oh, wow. There's a little excellence in that work, even if it's just a cup of coffee. So, you know, when I, uh, when I think about that, I think, of, where did that come from? That's my next thing I kind of go to. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from 
as Dr. Joe was talking about, it comes from the fact that God is our creator and we have been made in the image of God and we do things, not that we are God, we'll never be God, but we do things like God. We like to create things. We like to imagine things and then, and then put them together. Uh, I, I know there are some uh, of you in this room who are probably entrepreneurial in spirit. You don't want the old job. You don't want what's already in existence. You're thinking about something brand new that you could do. And you're trying to, you're trying to figure out how you should form that, that company or that business or that idea. Should it be a you know, sole proprietorship or should it be an LLC or should, what should it be? Should we ink the thing? What do we do? Is it nonprofit? Is it for profit? And you put all of this together because you love thinking about doing things like that. Well, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that we're made in the image of God. And we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and you know, when we look at scripture, as Dr. Joe showed us, there are scriptures throughout the word of God that's, that address this area of life and work and being fruitful. But I say there are three main passages that when we look at them, it speaks to our lives. One, for example, is the, the great commandment that, that Jesus gave to us. One of the references is in Mark chapter 12, verses 29, 30, and 31. You know the, that one where, where, where Jesus is asked, what is the foremost commandment? And Jesus said, it's this, it's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is that one that, second, uh, that comes second to that. It's love God, love people. That is really the, the bottom line to this whole, whole thing. So that does speak to our life and work, doesn't it? Because if whatever we do, we have to do it with that in mind, that we're going to do it with a love and a passion for God. Now think about this. How many hours in your life will you spend on the work, the job. Now, I want to be careful when we divide that because, in fact, I want to do away with this idea of one thing we do in life is secular and the other thing we do is sacred. What we do on the job is secular. What we do here at church is sacred when it's all sacred to the Lord, as we've already heard. But how many hours do we spend on the job? Well, if you do some math, you'll discover you spend... If you have a job, you're going to spend much more time on the job than practically anything else you will do. Now think about this. Would God give you work to do and then say, that's wasted time. That's that, I'm just giving that to you to do, you know, just to keep you occupied until you get done so then you can do your sacred work. Now you can do go on that mission trip or do the, those things that... Uh, We've uh, heard about already. No, even on the job, we're to love God and we're to love people. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have a president, a CEO, uh, a manager of your department or whatever it may be, or the superintendent of the school? Would you rather have someone who loves God and loves people or doesn't love God and doesn't love people? I imagine some of you work for people who don't love people. And it comes out. I have, I've done the same thing. I've, been, I've worked for people who really didn't 
like their work. I've heard pastors say, none of ours now, but I've heard pastors say, if it weren't for people, the ministry would be great. And I'm going, wow, what are you talking about? Well, they're really, they're really revealing something about their heart. They're saying that I don't like people. I don't like to be around people. And, and God says, no, the quality of what I have you doing has to do with loving me and loving people. The second big passage that we see in scripture is the Great Commission. And that's Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. You are very familiar with that because we've, we've and by the way, we've tended to make this commission, this great commission to go and make disciples, to baptize disciples, to teach disciples into just a church thing. And we don't even think of this as a job thing. And yet, to go into all the world means that we have to use a lot of devices to get there. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But we know that we're to make disciples, baptize disciples, teach disciples. That the third great passage, and and Dr. Woodell already covered this, is what is called the cultural mandate. If you do some reading on this, you might see that it's also called the, uh, the uh, mandate to, to go into the world and, and be fruitful. Um, so this mandate is Genesis chapter 1, verses 28. Verse 28. So let me read it to you. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the cultural mandate. I'm going to explain why it is so. Now, let me stop again and just give you some food for thought. For those of you who might think, I would love to have a job where I don't have to interact with anyone else. Have you ever thought about that? I'm going to come back to that idea. Have you ever thought of that, about that? I just wish I could just do something and never have to really interact. Well, you know that's impossible. I mean, it's utterly impossible. Now, I have here in front of me, and I'm placing my hands around it, a, a, you know, a podium. And it's, it's not elaborate or anything like that. But, but when I think about this podium, I think about everything that had to go into this podium to bring it here. You ever thought about that? I mean, first of all, we have the wood. So somebody somewhere in, in, in this world cut down a tree. And to cut down that tree, they had to have a tool. And, uh, and then to, to cut it down, they had to have maybe more tools to cut it into parts. Now, somebody had to make the tool. Somebody had to manufacture the tool from perhaps metal and and maybe there was a wooden handle on it, or maybe somebody uh, had a, 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 a saw that works uh, from a machine. And so there, somebody had to make the fuel. Somebody had to invent the fuel. Somebody had to figure out how to fire the fuel, how to make it work inside of a machine so that then the, the chain would, would turn and the chain would turn and then go against that, that tree and and then the tree is cut, and then the, well, after all that's happened, somebody's got to get it in, and then they have to, 
They have to do some work on the wood just to cut it into these pieces. You see, there's a lot going on right now. People who make tools, people who've, who've done all this work, they've invented things. And, and then you think about the nails. And when it, well, somebody had to invent nails. Somebody had to invent a hammer. Somebody had to invent perhaps the, a machine that turned into a hammer that made it easy to, to just, you know, just throw the nails in here. Somebody had to cut all of these pieces. Oh, well, there's varnish on here. Well, who invented the varnish? Somebody had a great idea that we ought to create paint and paint. The, oh, now we can have colors. Where did all this come from? This came from the fact that we're made in the image of God and it takes a community to bring it about. If I said, I'm going to build my own, my own podium before I speak, I would never be here. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do all of those things. I couldn't invent, invent all the tools and all that that's required. I don't have the ingenuity. I just couldn't. Do, I don't have the man hours. Uh, maybe on my deathbed, I could present a podium. But then I'd have to show you all the other stuff I invented to make this happen. You see what I'm talking about? That it, what we have around us is really incredible. Now, I don't want to lift up man uh, in, a, in a way that is not pleasing to the Lord. But at the same time, I don't want to diminish the fact that we're made in the image of God and I don't want to diminish the fact that God has made us uh, in His image and stamped us in a way that we have these abilities. And when you take, for example, if you take the smartest non-image animal that it was created in, those, you know, in, the, in the days of of creation, the, the smartest animal, I, and I don't know what that would be. Some people would probably say, man, it's a dolphin. And when Natalie and I went to the, the coast just a few weeks ago, we saw dolphins out there. Uh, and, and I thought about that as the dolphins went by, you know, I wonder how smart they are. People say they're very smart or, or an elephant or whatever. And you just, just, just imagine the smartest animal and then place that animal next to in judgment of perhaps, and forgive me for saying it, but the dumbest human being. I'm not talking about someone who has a, has an effect, a defect or, you know, the, the, even the, the mental capabilities perhaps because of some disease is lowered. But just, just take the, the average normal human being. Let's say it's the dumbest person on the planet. And what you have is this great, huge, immeasurable gulf difference between the two. That is what God did when he blessed man and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He, we are able to do this because of the endowment of being made in the image of God. It's, it's so this cultural mandate, I don't know why we don't talk about it enough, because when I think about life and work, I think, about, I think about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment with it. Because when I think about taking a team of people from First Baptist Church Keller and going to Mali, West Africa, I think about that. First of all, it's a tremendous thing that uh, First Baptist Keller has done and literally going in there where the gospel was not, where there were no churches 
And our folks have gone over and helped lead people to Christ. And now we have groups that, are, that have met. It's been a struggle. It's been a challenge. But, but think about this. Think about this. And I know, Keith, you've gone on these trips. How many people do you think have come that, that, that you've talked to or come to the Lord or we've impacted in Mali, West Africa? Just give me a number. Just throw it out. Not to be accurate. We're not going to go fact check you. How many? 3,000. Okay. Three, let's say there's 3,000 people impacted. And of course, we know there, there are networks of, of impact from that. But let's just say it's 3,000 people. When I think about sending our people out into this world Monday through Saturday on the jobs that they're on, then I think about how many thousands of people are we now talking about impacting by the lives of believers. Now we're multiplying that over and over and over again. We have people who've been, who've been CEOs or COOs or CFOs or whatever, just whatever initial you want to throw out, just, just use that. And they have been over large corporations of literally thousands of people. So just one company, just one company can be impacted by a Christian CEO. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about then how does that CEO bring quality and uh, of, of work, of dignity, of, of value and virtue to people? Well, that's what we're trying to say we can do to make a difference. Or how about the person that just simply makes the coffee and is able to smile and then go, I did that to the glory of God and for the good of his, his creation, which is you. I did that, and, and I may not be doing this for a long time, but I'm going to do it to the very best of my ability. So what does this mean, this cultural mandate? to do all of this to the glory of God. Well, I, I've, I've kind of outlined it for you there. Maybe if it's helpful, you can take some notes about this. But if you'll notice, there are just five things. The be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth, have dominion over all living things. You can divide that list of five into two areas. The first two that are mentioned there, be fruitful and multiply, have to do with the social world or relational world. Because if you think about it, to, as I mentioned, to be fruitful in your, in your work or in your life, it takes other people in your life. When God made Adam, there was a time where, where God then said, it's not good for the man to be alone. To, for him to flourish, for Adam to be who he's supposed to be, he needs a social life not just a professional life. You see, God put Adam in the garden and said, now go tend the garden. This is before Eve was even created. And by the way, for those of you who are parents and grandparents, if you, wanna, if you want to help uh, your uh, kids get on the right foot, please note that the man had a job before he got married. The man had a job before the woman was introduced. But notice he couldn't just have a job. He had, he had to have, he had to have relationship. 
He already had a relationship with his God, but God saw that he needed to have a relationship, a social relationship. He had to have a life outside of his, of his work. Be fruitful and multiply. That takes people working together. And when I think about marriage, for example, although we don't, we don't create human beings, but God has given us through marriage the ability to have children. That is multiplication. And that takes a relationship. And it's not just, if you think about it, marriage is not, of course, not just two people physically coming together and producing offspring. There's, we all know that there needs, there needs to be a quality to that marriage. There needs to be love for God and love for the partner, love for the married partner. There, you know, Natalie and I were talking about this the other day that, that when her mom passed away back in December, uh, it would be three years ago this December, and when we put her dad in a uh, nursing facility, which he was in assisted living to begin with, we talked about how, ma how many hours have we spent driving from, from Keller, Texas to Longview together. And so I added it up and it's an astronomical number. And I thought, oh, wow, look how much time we have spent together and how many conversations we've had. Not just quality conversations, but quantity conversations. We've not only been able to just talk about something, you know, uh, uh, just in a quick overview. I mean, we've gone into tremendous depth of all types of conversations about kids and grandkids and work and ministry and, hey, what's going on at church? And, hey, what's going on in this person's life that we learned about that we need to pray for? And, and, and we've learned that, that this has been such a blessing is what I'm saying. It's been a blessing because it's three hours that way and it's three hours back this way. That's six hours at a time over the last two and a half years going about every other week. You can probably do that math. And then of course, we spent time five hours that one way, five hours back visiting grandchildren. We've had lots of time together. Now some people would say, I'd go crazy. Well, you're not supposed to go crazy. You're supposed to, you're supposed to use that time to build your marriage. Parenting, teaching, training, all of this requires people having, having very high virtuous social and relationship relationships. It, it's required. And that is what the be fruitful and multiply is all about. And of course, as people then grow and as God intended for his people uh, to do, they began to multiply, but he wanted them to spread out over the earth because he says, fill the earth, subdue the earth, have dominion over all living, th all living things. This has to do with the natural world because we have, this, we have these marriage relationships, then it turns into parenting relationships and it's grandparenting relationships and then kids meet one another, they get married, they have kids, and the, just the human population begins to grow. It's impossible to stay in one place. And that is why God had intended for mankind to spread out over all the earth. That's why when we see the story of the Tower of Babel, it, it's, it's God's, God's creative way of getting them to spread out. He, he causes the people to have 
different languages. Do you remember that story? And so they start speaking in different languages and they huddle up by that language and they spread out over the earth by that language. So I guess that's where French and Italian and Thousand Island and all those languages came from, right? So he says, fill the earth, subdue the earth, have dominion. Fill the earth has to do with the geographics, to, to go, find new land, uh, then cult, cultivate it, make fruit from it, if you will. Uh, so spread out, take over, subdue the earth. That's the cultivation, as we heard earlier, of land. You know, only a, only, only a man can look at a piece of land and imagine what it can be. Some people look at a piece of land and they think, wow, I could, I could, I could bring a building here and build a building and rent it out for other companies. Or I could, I could, I could take a plow and I could, I could, I could make a field out of this, a field of uh, apple trees, oranges, pear trees, or whatever it is. They can envision it and find the, the seeds for it and plant it and harvest it. That's subduing the earth. They can build a fence and say, hey, this is my land. This guy's land over there, that's his. We don't bother him. He doesn't bother us. If we need to trade tools, we can do that. Or I'm growing oranges. He's growing apples. I like apples, so I'll give him some, some of my oranges for his apples. He likes oranges. We're going to trade. That's filling the earth. That's, that's multiplication. That's, that's what's happening. Subdue it. And it's making use of the natural resources. And then have dominion over all living things, which means that we're to be stewards of the land. We're to be stewards of the plant life. And we're to be stewards of the animal life. You see, that's why there are some people, you know, they like, they like to have pets. Any of you have pets? Some of you are probably dog owners. Some of you are cat owners. I, maybe you even have a gerbil or two. I don't know. But we're to have dominion over the animals. They're not supposed to tell us what to do. They can't. But sometimes they end up ruling, don't they? By the way, we took our, our four-year-old grandson to play putt-putt out in, in uh, Midland just a couple of weeks ago. And we got to one hole and we, uh, we all putted our ball in the hole. And it was one of those, it was one of those putt-putt courses where the ball's supposed to go down into the hole through a tube and come out in another area where you put your ball down into that hole. You know what I'm talking about? If you've never played putt-putt, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you have, somebody had some creative idea of, of earning money by, by doing this and people pay money to do all of this. But we were putting our ball in the hole. Three or four of us did it and the ball was not coming out. And we thought, oh, we better go tell the guy who runs the place that we did. And he, he came out with a, uh, with a blower, with a leaf blower. And so it told me, okay, this has happened before. So he sticks that leaf blower down into the hole, cranks it up, and, you know, it fires up. And we're just watching to see what's going to happen. And then here came, here came first out of the hole, not our four balls that we had putted into the hole, but a prairie dog. Boom, the prairie dog came out, looked at us, ran off. You see, that's having dominion, saying, 
The pet-peg horse belongs to the humans, not to the prairie dogs. And so that is, uh, th- that is what we're supposed to do. They don't, they don't play putt-putt. They might fill the holes at putt-putt, but we have dominion. So we see this. Marriage, children, then work. We have co-laborers. We're to love God and love them. We have neighbors, don't we? We love God and we love our neighbors. So the social world, we're, we're supposed to be the very best at it, by the way. If someone says of us, hey, I don't like that guy down the street. He's mean. He, 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 when, when my kids have, have ridden their bike across his lawn, he goes explosive. He goes radical. And then you find out later, oh, he goes to X church down the road. Oh, he's a deacon at the, oh, it's, or he's pastor of that church. It's like, whoa, wow. By the way, if you ever do that and you blow up, just, just, and then they find out you go to church, they say, I, I go to Gateway. I go to Gateway or something. Don't tell them First Baptist Church. Say something else. Say some other church. But, um, but we're, to, we're to rule over that. We're to rule over all of that. And I wish I had time to just kind of cover everything. But let me talk to you just a moment about cultivating the cultural mandate. In other words, what did God do? What did God do to, to make it possible for us to do all of this? For you see, we can't do this on our own. God has to make it possible. So let's revisit Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 that come right before verse 28. God said, let us, and by the way, you see that there, there is the Trinity in this verse and we won't spend a whole lot of time on it other than just to state it, that we see the unbroken relationship of the Trinity. Why does God understand relationships? Because he's one God, but he is, he is clearly and distinctively expressed himself in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in John 17, that's, uh, we see Jesus praying. He's saying, Lord, uh, he's saying, Father, may they, that he's talking about us, may they be one as we are one. Wow, what a prayer is that? How close together is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, they are one God. They are totally of one mind. So he says, let us make man in our image. And, and by the way, to be made in the image of God, uh, just, just let me quickly say there, and you'll see that in the other outline for later, but to be made in the image of God means that we have intellectual capacities, relational capacities, we have emotional capacities, physical capacities, and spiritual. No other animals have all these abilities. Well, God has made us in his image, and he says, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created And that word created means to make from nothing. God literally created man in his own image from nothing. And in the image of God, he created him. And then male and female, he created them. Now, I was doing some reading on what is this image of God and likeness. I came across a marvelous book uh, that's written by Dr. Paul Brand. And, and he did a masterful job of explaining what it means to be made in the image of God. 
and in his likeness. So let me read an excerpt from his, from his book. He says, curtains screen, by the way, Dr. Brand is a medical doctor. I don't know if some of you may have read some of his material before. He was a medical doctor during World War II and a mighty man of, of, of mind. I mean, just tremendous, obviously a Christian. And if you read his book, you'll, you'll see that he wrote many essays. He gathered his essays together. He wrote several essays, for example, just on the body. Then he wrote a lot of other essays just on the bones of, of man, but from a Christian perspective. He, he's amazing. But he also wrote uh, on the likeness of God. Now listen to this. He says, Curtin screened my group of 10 interns and medical students from the rest of the 40-bed ward. Externally, the Christian Medical College Hospital in Valor resembled a modern Western facility, but inside it was all Indians. Activity throbbed just beyond our curtain. Patients, families bringing in home-cooked food and nurses, chasing away the scavengers that followed, crows and an occasional monkey. Those of us inside the curtains, however, were giving full attention to our young colleague as he made his diagnosis. He was half kneeling in the posture I had taught him. With his warm hand slipped under the sheet and resting on the patient's bare abdomen. While his fingers probed gently for telltale signs of distress, he continued a line of questioning that showed he was weighing the possibility of appendicitis against an ovarian infection. Suddenly, something caught my eye. A slight twitch of movement on the intern's face. What it was it the eyebrow arching upward? A vague memory stirred in my mind, but one I could not fully recall. His questions were leading into a delicate area, especially for, for demure Hindu society. Had the woman ever been exposed to venereal infection? The intern's facial muscles contracted into an expression combining sympathy, inquisitiveness, and disarming warmth as he looked straight in the patient's face and asked the questions. His very countenance coaxed the woman to relax, put aside awkwardness, and tell us the truth. Listen, at that very moment, my memory snapped into place. Of course, the left eyebrow cocked up with the right one trailing down, the, the wry, enticing smile, the head tilted to one side, the twinkling eyes. These were unmistakably the features of my old chief surgeon in London, Professor Robin Pilcher. I sucked in my breath sharply and exclaimed. The students looked up, startled by my reaction. I could not help it. It seemed as if the intern had studied Professor Pilcher's face for an acting audition and was now drawing from his repertoire to impress me. Answering their questioning looks, I explained, that is the face of my old chief. What a coincidence. You have exactly the same expression, yet you've never been to England and Pilcher certainly has never visited India. At first, the students stared at me in confused silence. Finally, 
two or three of them grinned. We don't know any Professor Pilcher, one said, but Dr. Brand, that was your expression he was wearing. Later that evening, alone in my office, I thought back to my days under Pilcher. I had thought I was learning from him techniques of surgery and diagnostic procedures. But he had also imprinted his instincts, his expression, his very smile, so that they too would be passed down from generation to generation in an unbroken chain. It was a kindly smile, perfect for cutting through the fog of embarrassment to encourage a patient's honesty. What textbook or computer program could have charted out uh, the facial expression needed at that moment within the curtain, did it? Now I, Pilcher's student, had become a link in the chain, a carrier of his wisdom to students some 9,000 miles away. The Indian doctor, young and brown-skinned, speaking in Tamil, shared few obvious resemblances with either Pilcher or me, yet somehow he had conveyed the likeness of my old chief so accurately that it had transported me back to university days with a start. The thought gave me a crystalline insight into the concept of image. We are made in the image of God. How do we know? Look what we do. Look what man is capable of. Now, I'm not saying that from a secular, through a secular lens. I'm saying this through the lens that we're made in the image of God and God intended for us to do great things to, to his glory and uh, for the good of his creation. So the image of God perhaps is this, that the more we get to know, for example, Christ through salvation, the more we get to know him in the word and who he is, the more we become and become shaped into the image of God and in particular, the image of Jesus Christ. When someone says they're a Christian, but they don't act like a Christian, that tells us that like a brand and Pilcher, they haven't been spending much time together. And so we're made in God's image. There's enough there to get started, but it must be formed and it must be fashioned. Dr. Brand also talked about how the uh, Royal Air Force fighters were some of the bravest, most handsomest men in World War II. And the way they built the hurricane uh, airplane that some of the fuel lines were really too close to the cockpit so that when the engine was struck in that, uh, in that plane, sometimes it would erupt an immediate fireball in the cockpit, melting the face and the front uh, part of the pilots in just seconds. Said so those pilots, when they would come, if the ones that survived, when they would come into the hospital, it would literally take month after month after month, you know, even a year, two years for them to go through painstaking, reconstructive and plastic surgery. He talked about how, how the doctors would, would take a piece of a man's leg, for example, if, if, the, if part of the nose needed to be reconstructed and they would literally cut part of the skin and roll it up and then attach it to the face, keeping the skin of the leg attached to the leg. Why? So the blood could run through that skin 
And then onto the faces, they would engraft that skin onto the face. Now, that's just miraculous in and of itself that they would do things like that. And then once the skin would be grafted into the face, then they would cut the skin off and put the skin back onto the leg, the remaining skin. And this they did over and over again until they could reconstruct the face of these, of these men. And of course, as you can guess, they didn't, they didn't look a shadow of what they looked like in the beginning. See, when we talk about the image of God, sometimes we think, oh, well, God has this image, so we must kind of look like him. But no, listen to this. Dr. Brand talks about how when they would reconstruct the face and they came close to the time of their being released from the hospital, said the, the pilots would fall into two areas. One area would be men of confidence and the other area would be men who weren't confident at all about going back out into the world. And they realized what was happening was that the men who lost confidence, who later then did leave the hospital and, 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 and really led lives of, of, of silence and they hid from themselves from the world so they became recluse. What happened to them is sometimes family members rejected them because of their new look, their distorted look. Wives said, hey, I didn't sign up for this. They would divorce their husband. Girlfriends would say, well, I know we're engaged, but hey, I didn't sign up for this. I'm gone. Family members who were just embarrassed. Those pilots didn't, didn't tend to do so well, but the ones that did very well were the ones that had strong family and friends who built into them this idea of, hey, that face is not you. We're looking beyond the face and we see you. You are made in the image of God. You are made uh, so wonderfully, your face does not identify that. And those guys went on to do great things. Some of, many of them uh, became leaders in their, in their community and built companies and businesses. Some of them became ministers and they did great things. What was the difference? The difference was the mirror, the person who spoke into them. You know, this is why we, we take, this is why we emphasize so much the importance of child training. Because what we're doing is we're developing children who are made in the image of God. And how they are dressed might have something to do with it or part of it. But the biggest part of it is who do they believe that they are? Who do they understand that they really are? This is the image of God. This is why we, we need to encourage one another. You know, the scripture says, let's encourage one another as long as it's called today. Why? Because the world looks at us and says, you're ugly, you're fat, you're no good, you're 50-something, you're, you're so you're not useful in the work world anymore, or whatever the world likes to do to define who we are. And God says, I don't care if you're CEO or lead, lead pastor or you're the janitor or whatever, I love you. I have made you in my image and you're important to me. I've put my image in you and I'm not going to waste anything my time, and I'm not going to waste your time. I want you to live 24-7 for me in my image. So God created man in his image, male and female, and 
And of course, Adam and Eve serve as the, as a, they give us many lessons about life. Let me just quickly mention some hindrances to the cultural mandate. Number one, of course, is the fall of man. That, that just wrecked everything. But I want you to note two things. Number one, man's sin, that is Adam and Eve's sin, and, and every offspring out of Adam and Eve are sinners by nature. That's you and me. That's why we need Jesus Christ. But note this, that while we are sinners, and while the image of God is not as clear to us right now, we are still made in the image of God. That is something that has not been changed. Number two, just because we're sinners didn't mean that God removed the call to work from our lives. And so uh, the fall of man ruined everything. Christ restores everything. But also then, of course, broken relationships with God and others. That's a hindrance to the culture mandate. To be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. You know, some of us, for example, uh, in this room, there may be somebody in the room who's saying, I, I have a hard time going to work because I have a hard time at home. My home life's not any good or my marriage is, is difficult. I've got challenges at home. Or vice versa, I don't do very good at home because there are challenges at work. And that's because broken relationships affect the whole person. Would you agree to that? That you can't just, you can't just compartmentalize your life and say, I love it at work, but I, I hate it at home. It doesn't work that way. God never meant for it to work that way. Hard work also. By the way, we know that, the, that work is not cursed. Work is not the curse, but the, how easy work might be is cursed. As we've already heard, we're going to do work by, by through sweat and through thorns and and it's just going to be hard to do the work. It's harder. And so that hinders us from thinking about our cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and, and have dominion over everything. And then there's also political influence and social reconstruction. That hinders good work, doesn't it? When someone tells us, don't worry, we're going to pay for everything. That might call someone who's in their fallen nature to say, hey, I don't have to go to work. All I have to do is go down to some office, fill out some paperwork, and guess what? The government's going to send me some money every month for not working. That's a pretty good deal. And, and we see that happening. Uh, and, and again, I'm not here to bash any kind of political person or anything, but we know that for example, food stamp distribution has really almost uh, uh, grown 10 times than the number there were just even eight, 10 years ago. God never intended for a man to say, you know what, I'm just going to live off the goodness of other people. I don't have to go to work. I'll just, I'll just wait for my check or I'll go down and collect my food stamps. And, and, and what is wrong with that? Well, everything. Because when a man does that, he, has, he gives up his dignity. He gives up the recognition that he is made in the image of God. He gives all of that up. So when a government says, hey, don't worry about it. We'll take care of you. And, and, and you know, don't, don't, don't fret it. We're going to pay off your college loans. We're going to do all this for you. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to plan your life. We will take care of you. That just takes away all the dignity of the good and godly work we're supposed to be doing that we're called to do. So that's a hindrance to the cultural mandate. 
Also, there's harmful work. Uh, but this harmful work can have dignity, but you know what? Sometimes harmful work uh, can be turned upside down. For example, would you agree that po police work is good work, right? Not to certain groups though, right? Certain groups, if you're a criminal, it's not good work. But if you're a, if you're a, if you're a good citizen, you like the police. Because if, if someone is trying to crash through your door, and, and you're not a concealed carry, you want to be able to dial 911 or both, concealed carry and dial 911. And, and you want to be able to call the police to come help you out. See, that's dangerous work. It's harmful work. And, it, and it's not helpful when people who serve on the front lines, the military, and, and, and as you know, and even in our own nation, sometimes the military is popular. And then there's times where people are bashing the military. All they want to do is go to war. All they want to do is kill people. And, and yes, sometimes there are bad apples in every profession, but, but are you not glad for a, for a strong military that if another nation were to try to come across our borders and do some harm, we have a way to push them back? Yeah, it's harmful work, but when people are not uh, respectful of it. When we, when we say there's no dignity in being a police officer or being in the military or being a first responder, uh, then it becomes harmful. It becomes, it becomes hard to, to do that work. And then sometimes not all work is good or godly work as, uh, as Joe talked about. For example, there are, there are industries that do nothing but uh, focus in on addictions. So there's drug addiction, alcohol addiction, pornography, and gambling. So, and then there's loss of freedoms. And I realize we need to go here, but there's socialism, communism. There are forms of government that say, we're not, you, don't get, you don't get to choose what you're going to do. You don't get to choose to be a pilot. You don't get to choose to be an engineer. We're going to test you out, and then we're going to tell you what you're going to become. That's a loss of freedom, a loss of dignity, and so what we need to do is, is, is to rediscover the cultural mandate and realize God wants us to flourish and do very well on our jobs because it's, on our, it's in our work that we discover the true meaning of our lives. It's in our work that we learn what it means to serve others here and everywhere. And it's in our work that we glorify God and we're salt and light in our culture. It's not at church and it's, it's sometimes not even at home even though we're influencing one another, but it's at, it's at work. We're planted and we grow deep roots and it, re, it requires freedom to do so. So Lord, help us to go out and use the freedoms you've given us to live for you and to bless others. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Have a great day and thank you for coming to this class.